0: Following the message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. So we begin with Luke 27, 6, excuse me, 27 to 28. And it says this, But I say to you, who hear the NIV says willing to listen. So this morning, check your disposition, check your posture. Are you in a place where you're hearing? And what it means here is a willingness, not only to hear, but to obey Uh, a desire to do what, what, what it is that God wants us to do. And then he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. My question this morning is, did Jesus model this? To perfection, right? His life was always sought after for his demise. Like he hung on a cross for sin that was not his own. And in that moment, he declares, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like, could it be that those that harm and hate and hurt us don't really know what they're doing? And so as we diagnose this, Jesus says, love your enemies. And then he says, do good. This is an action statement. Do good to those who hate you. Overcome evil with good, right? That is what Romans tells us, Romans 12. So like, here he's saying that how we overcome hatred is by doing good for the person that is hating us. Um, how are you doing with that? Is, is, that a, is that a natural response? Is that something your feelings often kind of help you along to do when someone is hating on you? No, oftentimes we have the, re, we have the opposite response or we, we, we find ourselves in a vengeful posture or retaliating or, or echoing the same hatred. Uh, from our lives. In response to theirs. So we're called to a supernatural response here. To actually do good. For those that hate us. And then interesting enough. It says in verse 28. Bless those who curse you. Well after, as we look back over. The blessings that are bestowed upon. Individuals. Sons by fathers. And on and on. By God on his creation. What we find is. is blessing is often something that's spoken. But as. Is curse also something that is often spoken? And so what is being said here is that when we are cursed, verbally abused, that we are to return blessing, to speak life. When, when death, when the enemy has a mouthpiece, we are to be the, the voice of truth. We are to be the ones that use our words to build up and not tear down. And then it says, "Pray for those who abuse you." What what is does, does prayer change God or change me? Right? Like is is it, like. But what does it require when you're in a when you're in the throes of being abused in order to get to a place and a posture of prayer? It it I don't know what about for you, but for me it requires me keeping my mouth shut and finding my 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 prayer closet. Because my emotions don't want to pray, and I've got to process. And I've got to put all of that in sincerity before the Lord and let Him change my heart so that I can sincerely and genuinely pray for those that abuse me. I, I want to say that, guys, I, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I'm like, this, you know, I can think about countless occasions in my past where I've failed in all three of these areas. And it just reminds me how desperate I am for, for, for him to see this realized through my life. And that it's a perspective that, that, uh, that needs to happen in me. And that perspective is, I need to remember in all occasions what he's done for me. And that changes my attitude. That, that moves me to a more compliant posture to his word, to the spirit. And also it moves me to a compassionate posture with those who have offended. Jesus modeled this. So I got a few questions for you. What are the obstacles to obeying the Lord here? In other words, as we talked just recently about sharing his yoke, coming under submission to his teachings, right? Like what are are the obstacles in your life to that, to obeying this teaching, to loving your enemies, um, to, to doing good to those who hate you, blessing those who curse you, and praying for those that abuse you. What are the obstacles? Because I'm sure the list that I made that I can relate to is not exhaustive. But I'll share what I wrote down. Especially as someone that's in an American culture. Well, what about my rights? What about... What's another obstacle that, that, that I, I tend to, f- to face often in these moments? My feelings. What's that? It's, it's right here <laughs> on the list, right? My rights, my feelings. See if you relate to any of these. Selfishness. Pride. A conditional response. Cultural paradigms. Right? Things that have been built in you from your parental and your, your your family history. It's not fair mentality. Are hurt. Are hurt. Vengeance or retaliation. A, a lot of people talk about in these moments of having an emotional script. Like playing scenarios out in your head. That the enemy often has influence in. Guys... How do we overcome our nature? And, you know, Romans 8 tells us that we do that by submitting to the Spirit, by yielding ourselves to His Word. Like, do you believe that God has the power to see this realized in your life? That's, that's the big question. Do you, do you believe that God can do it through you? See, Moses had a moment at the burning bush where he's like, God, I, I think you can do it, but... I'm not your guy, right? We often doubt ourselves and God's saying, who made your mouth? Do you understand that if if God is calling you to do it, he wants to empower you to see it through. And and what is our part in that? Is to simply submit to it. Is to simply desire to be obedient. You might be wrestling with all the feelings and the rights and the hurt and the desires for revenge and retaliation, all of that. But when we... When we desire, and I hope you relate to this, because man, my desire is I want to do His will. I want to do His word, But I got all this stuff going on, and when I, say, when I say, God, I want this more than I want this. Because I know this. If I, if I do this, because I've done it too many times, this leads to a, a broken place. This leads to relational conflict, and, and, and this leads to destruction and death. But if I do it your way, It leads to peace. It leads to reconciliation. It leads to to hope and healing. And so it's a matter of just wanting his will over over ours. And already, you know, like I said earlier, man, we got to draw the line in the sand long before we face the the test, right? We've already got to determine, Jesus, you are Lord and I am yours. I'm in this yoke. I'm following you. You get to set the pace, the direction. I want what you want because when the moment comes, we're dealing with all of that, right? And, and it, 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 I believe this, as it says in Luke chapter 5, like what we, what we need to do is say, I don't really want to do this. That's what Peter said to Jesus. Jesus said, go out in the deep water, let down your net for a catch. And, Jesus, and Peter says, hey, I, we fished all night, Lord. But because you said so, we will do it. And when they had done so, blessing. You know, this text really speaks to this. And we're not going to be able to diagnose all of this, but I, I want to jump to this right now. Is that it uses the word reward, credit, right? Like how, and it says to you, how does it benefit you? How does it credit you? If you, if you, if you act like the sinners do then how does it benefit you? And then it tells us right there in the passage that, that what we gain, what we benefit from, yes, rewards, store for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy and with the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also like, yes. But a big part of it is, is what happens is, is God begins to form himself in us. We feel transformed in those moments. Don't I know you have moments where you've just, Submitted to God's word. I mean, as difficult as it was, fighting your emotions, fighting, fighting your nature's desire, and submitting to God, and you find that it's not only fruitful and faithful, it is exhilarating, because you, you sense the working of God forming himself in us as we obey his word. And then what comes, look, I don't think Peter, James, John... Andrew, I don't think they ever had boats filled to the point of seeking both of them at the same time. It didn't happen. But because it's a supernatural thing that God does, when we simply are willing to obey, I believe the power comes to see supernatural things done like loving, sincerely loving our enemies. So what is necessary to share Jesus' example here? What's required in order to, to really, Jesus modeled this. I mean, I, I'll ask a question prematurely in, in what I had planned, but, but like did Jesus, share, did he share our humanity? So look, a question, did he wrestle with his flesh in the, way, in the moments where he loved his enemies? You bet he did. But how was he victorious? How, because he, he, he never sinned, not once. I made another list. What is necessary to share Jesus' example here? His life, not mine. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a personal deal, but it's it's, it's a declaration that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus is finishing his life's work through us body of Christ, not his life, his life, not mine. And then the next piece, as I mentioned, Romans 8, spirit over nature. If you read Romans 8, and I hope that you'll even do that today. Basically, it says you have you have a choice as a saint, right? You have a choice. You can either submit. You can either allow the, the spirit to control you or the nature to control you. Nature leads to death and destruction. Spirit lives, leads to life and peace. I don't know, this one sounds a whole lot better, right? But, but it requires submission. It requires radical faith and obedience and discipleship. It requires submitting ourselves to, to a teaching that emotionally, contextually um, is counter nature, counter culture, counter intuitive. Like we have, to, we have to reject all of that in order to submit to his will, his word in that moment. And trust him. Like if, if in that moment you're looking for some way to rationalize a choice to love your enemy. It's, it's no longer love. It's lo- love doesn't have that selective characteristic. So his life not mine. Spirit over nature. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a conclusion that I'm going to do it your way. Even though everything is warring against that. It's love over hate. It's faith over fear. Right? It's, it's right over wrong. It's him over me. It's letting God be the judge. That's such a big deal. Like, how good are you at being a judge? Right? We, we hurt people when we judge people. Like, badly. Badly. Like, back into the Sermon on the, on the Mount, Jesus said, do not judge, for by the measure you judge, you will be judged. Like, we set our own standards of judgment by the way that we judge others. Is that not sobering? And then he says, quit looking at the speck in your brother's eye, and you, let's pay attention to the law that's in your own eye, and let's work on that. And maybe when we get done with that, which I don't think happens in this life, um, then you might be ready to judge. Right? Like, we need to entrust ourselves to a faithful creator who judges what? Justly. Like, God is good at doing this, and aren't you great, aren't you grateful that His that, that mercy triumphs over just over judgment? We're here. We're we're in Him. We are sealed in His Spirit. We are we are destined for eternity in His presence simply because of the mercy of God and the grace of God. But I I want to mention this because I think it's so important that we understand this. That God did not lay aside his His justice. He didn't lay aside his His righteous standards in order to just say, okay, I'm just going to turn a blind eye to that. He poured out all the wrath that was due your sin and mine on his son. Like, it's perfect justice. Like, Jesus, the, the Lamb of God, the one that did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, Like, before, like, and here's the crazy thing. Think about this. God knew the entire, like, it's written in the stars. We're told this, like, it's all there. Like, God knew what creation would do from start to finish before he formed day one. He knew it all. And yet, before the foundation of the earth, Christ was crucified. Like, he knew every single thing he would do. He knew how bad and pitiful humanity and how rebellious and hurtful and hateful we would be towards him. We knew that he would be the first one blamed at the fall. He knew he'd be the first one blamed. And yet, before that all went down, before he said it was good or very good, he purposed Christ to be the sacrificial lamb because he knew that that, that would demonstrate his love to us. That that would give us an example of what mercy looks like. Like that's amazing, right? Right? That's incredible. But let's never think, like sometimes I think we walk through life failing to remember that, that your sin cost Jesus his life and his blood. I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to, 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 to share with you the love of God. Like this is how big God's love is for you. That he purposed his son to die before you lived your first day, knowing you would fall and fail. And, 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 and he didn't cover some but all of your debt. And remember what's said in Psalms 51: Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Like God is the first one offended by our sin, and in that case, almost the only one because of the extent of it. And yet, in His mercy, He sent His Son and Jesus. Let's let's understand that. You know, I think that Isaac, when when Moses, I mean, when Abraham was lifting that knife, was going, "Wow, he loves God." You know, or like, what's going on? He, this was confusing. For Jesus, this wasn't confusing. He was racing to a cross, knowing it meant your salvation. He loved you that much. He, he, it says that he, he set his, his course to Jerusalem. He told Peter to get out of his way and get behind me Satan. Because he was going to a cross because he knew what it meant for you and me. And the thing that that tells us is, is that when people hate us, he said, they hated, they hated me, they'll hate you too. When people hurt us and abuse us and speak cursing against us, like, Jesus, did it, did it deviate Jesus in any way in his life? I mean, like, they were chasing him down to kill him and they weren't even ashamed to declare it. And he knew it. And he was dying for the very ones that were trying to kill him. guys, that's what we're being called to in this passage is to a love that is that is that profound, that beyond us, that magnificent. You know what it causes the world to do that doesn't understand non, non-retaliation, that doesn't understand uh, that type of response? They stand in amazement. Can you imagine? They stand in amazement like it's amazing. I want to read a couple of passages to you. But let me remind you of what I just said. What is necessary to follow Jesus' example? His life, not mine. Spirit over nature. Love over hate. Faith over fear. Wrong over right. Him over me. Letting God be the judge and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's required. You can't do it. But he can and he will. We just just need to agree with him and, and submit to him and join him. In this glorious mission. Because this is the catalyst that causes people to ask the question. What is different about you? And where is your hope found? Like this. This is where it's at. Romans 12. And just listen to these verses. Let them continue to solidify this. This This is a massive topic in all of the New Testament. Jesus teaches on this over and over again in various contexts. But then Peter and Paul join him in this same exact piece. Why? Because this is the catalyst for our mission to be successful. Are you going to be abused? Jesus promised it. Are you going to be hated? He guaranteed it. Right? Are you, if you follow him, you're going to be treated the way he is. But then he calls you to respond the way he did. And then he gives you the power to do It's God good, right? But listen to what it says. Bless those who persecute you. If you don't think this nation is moving to a more godless state and that the, the genuine saints aren't going to be given a greater opportunity to be the light and salt of the earth. I, I, I'm not sure if you've been with us for a few months, right? Like this is what it says. Bless, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I'm going to move to verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We were talking about this in our study this morning before, and like give thought to do, right? Pay no one evil for evil, but how do we ever come, like when evil is done against us, how do we ever have the, the, the opportunity to, to give thought? We've got to keep our mouths shut and, and, and find ourselves out of that situation. Did Jesus model that for us? How many times did he just keep his mouth shut? Well, you know, like even this thing where you see we're told, to, you know, if you get struck on one cheek, turn, like do you remember that when he was in the courtyard, he was being interrogated by the high priest, that they put a bag or a sack over his head. They punched him and then said, hey, prophesy, tell us who did it, Jesus. Mockery. What did Jesus do? He said nothing. Now, this is the same Jesus that told Pilate that, listen, I, I, I am a king of a kingdom. You're right. And if I wanted to, I could call down 72,000 angels right now. Right? That's almost what's going to happen. But like right now, and then and we could shut this down right here, right now. But that's not for the purpose that I've come. I've already submitted to my father's will hours ago, and and here I am to finish it. He He was resolved to do what the Father asked him to do and to trust him for the strength to see it through. And that's how he's an example to us. Like, isn't it amazing that Jesus had the power to change every scenario of his demise? All of it. You don't think in his flesh he wanted that? We see it in his prayer. But he said, not my will, your will be done. That's the key. Is that we have to forsake, deny ourselves. We have to forsake our will and then embrace his and trust that it's better. Have you come to find out? Have you come to find, find that God's, God's way is better than yours? <laughs> like every time, every single time. But it's harder, right? Right. The, the easy path, like, you know where I'm at in my walk with the Lord, like, seriously, when, when, when I'm de- determining the path, the, 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 what Lord, the Lord's guiding me in and, and which way to go, man, I almost look, if it's easy, eh, I'm skeptical. Right? I mean, we're told that it's hard. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That's talking about the world, too that they would go, wow, that was an honorable response. If possible, so far as it depends on you, right? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's inside and outside the church. We're called to to exemplify peace, to be ministers of reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? They will be called sons of God. And then he says this, beloved, and and anytime Paul says that, he's saying that to remind you of God's love for you, to remind you of what God's done, beloved, and who you are in Christ. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. We could just stop there. Never avenge yourselves. Then he goes on to say this, right? But leave, but leave it to the wrath of God. Like God is good at being God. Right, he's a good, he's a kind, he's a he's a just judge. Can we entrust to him every every wrong that's done to us? Can we can we say, God, I don't have to exact, uh, um, a, you know, a, 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 something back from this scenario through revenge or, or or whatever. I can I can leave this with you, I, and, and, and I believe that's the first step to forgive, to actually forgive. It says, but leave room for the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine and then here's a promise, I will repay. It's a fearful thing to be in the hands of the living God. Like, trust me, for those that don't experience the propitiation of Christ's sacrifice, his atoning work in their life, which simply comes to us by faith, that we we just accept and receive by trusting him, right? That's amazing, but But that those that don't receive and which is many versus few, which is sad, but true, like those folks will feel the wrath of God in its full brunt. And and, and they will join the, the angel, the devil and his angels in the lake of fire. And it's called an eternal fire, an unquenchable fire. Guys, that should that should create a reverence for this glorious fear that we have of our Great and glorious God. It's a reverence. It's an awe of of this great. and And he's father. And he's good. To the contrary, he says in verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. Right? If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so. Or by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, before we read the last part here, what that means is and it kind of comes out of an Egyptian culture. That when someone had done something in public that was an atrocity and they had, they had sinned against their community. They would, in order to repent publicly, they would put a, a pan of hot coals on their head. I mean, that can't feel good. And they would walk around as a way of saying that I am purifying my mind on this issue. I am changing my I'm sorry. It's, a, it, it's almost like sackcloth and ashes. It's, it's that expression. So, and what it, what it does is, what he's saying here is, is when we return kindness for hatred, when we love our enemies, that what happens is that's what brings conviction. That's what brings change. That's amazing because what he says here is do not be overcome by evil, right? That anytime, have you ever felt the onslaught of evil, right? But don't be overcome by it, but overcome evil. How do we overcome evil with good, right? With love. That's how we overcome the evil in our life is that we love in response to the evil. Guys, I'm promising you that you're going to have an opportunity to apply this teaching, you will on countless occasions in the future to come. And things are going to become harder before they become better. And so in those, in those moments, I, I pray that you would be sensitive to the Spirit and you would yield to this teaching and you would trust God for the power to see it through because he will come through every single time. I read one more passage and then I'm sharing an illustration with you before I conclude. First Peter 2. One of my favorite passages, because it always puts me in a posture of reminding this, of being reminded of this biblical principle. So this is what it says, starting in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. Well, he's about to tell us what this gracious thing is. When mindful of God. So that's the that's the orientation of 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 our thoughts. When we are focused and mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. That is a gracious thing, later on we're told, in the sight of God. Like God thinks it's incredibly, isn't it interesting that the word there is used, gracious? It is very grace-giving when you suffer at the hands of unjust suffering. Right? So it says, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Listen, for what credit is it if... When you sin, you are beaten for it and you adore In other words, if you, if you do wrong and, and you get beaten for it, that's on you, right? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And then he's speaking here about enduring sorrows while suffering unjustly. And he says this, for to this, that's the this, suffering for for after after doing good he says for to this you have been called you're called to this because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps he committed no sin like he was completely innocent right neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Isn't it interesting that all of these are talking about our mouth? Like he kept his mouth shut. Through all of the abuse and all the chaos. And if he opened his mouth, they were oracles to God. They were expressions of trust and praise and forgiveness and surrender. But then I love this. The second part of 23, it says, but continued. I already talked about that, right? He continually, at this point, continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. Do you know that God judges justly? Are you continually entrusting yourself to him? He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins. And this, this really segues us into our communion time today, right? He himself bore our sins. The righteous one, the innocent one, the one who had no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Like he had no sin. He had he had no guilt. He had he had nothing that 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 caused this for him. And and yet the ones that were causing it to him, he was dying for love your enemies. Right. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So by his, this is the point, by his, his sorrow while suffering unjustly, we became righteous. Guys, do you think for a moment that you loving your enemies will literally change their life? That's the example that Christ set for us. Right, He's, He says there, he, bore, he, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and, because otherwise we can't die to, to ourselves or sin. To die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been what? Healed. Guys, by his loving his enemies and the wounds that came because he endeavored to demonstrate God's love in that. We were healed. I mean, are you hearing Isaiah 53 right now? Like, really, serious. Like, he was afflicted. He was abused. He was mocked and ridiculed. He was reviled. Deserved none of it. All of it we deserved. And he took it so that we could be healed. Guys, that's what he's wanting us to follow him in. That's what we're called to, is what this passage says. Is, and when we understand that, when our perspective or our expectations that are, that are wrong are changed to understand, he said to us, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Right? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, have overcome the world. Like He, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house, there's many rooms. He's basically given us the the eternal perspective that he's coming back and we have hope, right? But because of his wounds, we are healed. Please let that sink in today as we go to the table. Please examine your heart in light of the fact that you were healed and Jesus experienced everything and, and God like ordained it everything that your sin deserved. Like, if you didn't feel loved, I hope you do now, (laughs) because that's how God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still his enemy, while we were still sinners, God purposed his son to die in our place so that we might be healed. Like, you're loved. Like, profoundly loved. Well, I finished this, and it's somewhat of a memorial to a to a legend in in my life. So, um, Reverend Charles Wesley Lanham uh, lived to the the age of 93. I knew him when he was 67 and 68. Um, He was a a mountain of a man to me as a spiritual giant. Um, He died four and a half years ago today um, on February 22nd. 2017, and um, this man served in ministry for 70 years, and somehow before all of that, he was able to serve in World War II as a bomber flight pilot, and literally uh, was shot down over Sweden, and landed the plane, everyone survived, but he was a POW um, until the end of the war. Well, I came to meet this guy in Melbourne, Florida, and he changed my life. Because, because he lived this out. Because he was so surrendered at the age of 68. He was so surrendered to the will of God. It was so obvious. It just exuded from his life that he, was, he, that he belonged to him and that he shined for his glory. Well, I've shared this with you guys. Um, he, he shared a lot of his life with me. He, he poured into me and um so um he shares a story at at boot camp that he was uh, he was a really thin tall guy and um and you know he's 18 years old or so and and he goes into boot camp and uh and he's struggling with basic training right it's just it's, it's it was he said it was brutal and um and so during basic training uh, there was a guy, and he he was a he was he was a bold believer at a young age. His dad was a pastor. Now, let me, did I tell you what his name is? Charles Wesley Langham. His dad's name was John Wesley. Uh, okay, just just say. So um, he he comes in. He's he's, he's, he's a firm believer. Um, knows the importance of being in his word uh, and reads his Bible every every morning. Right. Well, one night uh, the. The, the staff sergeant uh, decides that he's going to wake everybody up at like 2, 3 in the morning. And it's, because it's raining outside, we are going to go on a long run. So he has them all put on their boots in the middle of the night, and they go on this, this, this arduous run. Well, um, after the run's over, they come back, and they get in their bunks, and they're absolutely said they were, he was exhausted, just wiped out. And uh, and he sits down on his bunk, and he just, you know, tirely He actually said he considered not taking his boots off, anything off, and just going to sleep. But he starts to take his boots off. And out of nowhere, this, this muddy boot comes flying at him and, and just clocks him in the face, right? Well, there's this... The largest guy in the group was very antagonistic towards Charles because of his faith. And was always badgering him, always you know, mocking him for his his faith in the Lord. And so he said that he didn't even have to look up to know who had done it. But he said because of the fatigue, he was enraged in his flesh, like he was angry and he just wanted to get up and, and retaliate. But he said that morning, he actually was reading the Matthew account of this, that when you're asked to go one mile, go two. You know, if, you, if you're if you struck on one cheek, turn to turn the other cheek to love your enemies. And he said in that moment, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit reminded him of that text. And it was enough to, to barely keep him in his book. And he said nothing. So he lays down and he tells me that he was fuming. There was no sleep in his eyes. He had gone from exhaustion to to just... Anger, right? And he is just fuming in his bed and he can't sleep and he can't sleep and he's laying there and all of a sudden as he's trying to process this through prayer and you know how your emotions can be a limiting factor at that point, challenging. He is, um, he, he hears from the Lord, I want you to polish his boot. He said, he almost said it out loud. Are you kidding me? Like What? Like it, it was the furthest thing from his mind. It was the, and he had just read this passage. It was the, he said, it's the last thing he wanted to do. And he said, after about a half an hour, it was, it, it was just out of raw obedience. There was nothing in his heart, nothing in his heart that wanted to do this. He was still angry, and so he gets up. Everybody else has gone to sleep at this point. He gets up, and because their boots are going to have to be polished the next day, he begins to polish this this muddy boot that was previously on his face, he's, he starts polishing the boot. And he said to his surprise, what started to melt away wasn't the mud on the boot, but the anger in his heart. And he started polishing this boot. And he said that the, the, the anger left and the joy came. And he, he said when he was done, he said he quietly, now he's going, I actually care about this guy's sleep. Like quietly, whether that was a fear, I don't, but quietly he goes over and he puts the other boot by the guy's bed. And he's feeling so good about this. And then the Lord said, when you're asked to go one mile, go two. And he looks at the other boot and he said he had, he had, he had just enough joy in what, he, what the Lord had done in that moment that he picked up the other boot and he said, it went from just being relieved of my anger to exceeding joy as I polished that other boot. So he takes the boot, puts it over there, and goes back to his bunk for a brief night's rest. And do you know what he wakes up to in the morning? And it wrecks me every time. This giant mound of a man standing over him, crying, having no idea what this type of love is. And do you know, before boot camp, Charles Lanham led that man to Christ. He was healed because Charles was willing to suffer and to respond by the grace of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was always challenged and touched by that that story. Um, I want to tell you, I'm going to read just a couple of verses here at the end here and I want you to hear these because this is what we're told few quotes first. Our lives should reflect the attitude of the Lord. Believers respond this way, not so that we can be the church, but because we are the church. I like what Amy Carmichael said. She said this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And Jesus ends this section by saying in verse 36, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Well, To be merciful means to refuse to inflict just vengeance as well as to show compassion. In Matthew 5, 7, it says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And we've quoted this throughout the morning, but this is what James 2, 13 says. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Let's remember mercy triumphs over judgment. As the worship team comes, uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and love. We thank you for your guidance and strength. We thank you for your promises, Lord Jesus, for your yoke, your teachings. Lord, help us to submit to your teachings, to embrace these wonderful precepts that really, that, so that we might really believe that love always overcomes evil. And, and that we can respond this way with your power, knowing that others might be healed if we are willing to suffer as you did, Lord Jesus. And as we come to the table this morning, uh, and would you prepare our hearts even now as we sing your praises, as we reflect upon your goodness and your grace, would you prepare our hearts to receive again in an act of remembrance the wonder of what you've done for us in de- demonstrating the Father's love. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. amen.